I realize this morning that, you know, pastors have about five sermons, and, and that means this pastor probably has about one and a half. And um, you're going to get that sermon this morning, uh, like you didn't have a choice anyway. And I'll tell you what it is. It's this one where I can't help but challenge the, this is going to tell you where we're going here for the next half hour. I can't help but challenge the meta-narrative. That's where we're going. I can't help but challenge the story, the grand story of what we're all swimming in. You know, um, like we're a fish in water and you don't know you're in water. Well, I'm going to challenge the water, okay, and we're all fish. Here's where we start. Since 2006, we hung these three banners up over here. They say surrender, together, and love. And we fly these banners in here because, not because they're brilliant or because, you know, nobody else could come up with them. But we fly these three banners, surrender, together, and love, because we think they are the three marks, the three projects of the Christian life. In other words, it's the progression of the Christian life. Now, when I say progression, it doesn't mean that automatically someone individually surrenders their life to Christ, they come together with other Christians as the church, and then they go on to love other people. That certainly happens, and that'd be great if everybody did it that way, but what we've seen around here is really more often than not, it really happens the other way around, because many of us say, you know what, I want to go help the poor, or I need to do something like that, or I love to swing a hammer, so you get down to Habitat for Humanity or whatever, and you're hanging out with some other Christians, and uh, you're like, you know what, these Christians are not like what I like what I see on the news or whatever. They, they actually are human, and they're not so judgmental. And, and I don't like Christians, but I like these guys, you know? And so you're not a Christian, and you think like, but so then you start hanging out around church. You come together. And then you think, well, there's more than one or two guys that are actually acceptable. I'm not sure about the whole church, but the rest of them are decent enough. And then what happens is about two, three years later, you finally bend a knee to Jesus. And then you just keep on bending the knee to Jesus in all areas of your life for a lifetime. I'm just saying that's the way it happens. Sometimes it's love together, surrender. <laughs> Mostly this morning, I want to talk about surrender. Because it's the key one. It's, it's the one that really makes it all work. And so we're going to spend most of our time on that. Uh, but I don't want to ignore the other ones. And what I put up here and what you actually have also in your hands so you can take home are columns of disciplines. Because under surrender, it, it wouldn't make any sense if you thought you earned your way to heaven. It's always a grace experience. It's an explosion of grace inside your soul that comes from God Almighty. Yeah? We don't earn our way to heaven. It's a gift from God. Right? And then the Bible, you'd want to base your life on this story. Talk about meta-narrative, in other words, big stories. Like, this is a story. It's, it's God dealing with a particular people, the Jews. You know, and as the rabbi once said, you know, the Jews are just like everybody else, except more so. And so they make a good example for us all to kind of look at and examine and say, like, yeah, I mess up. And look, here's a whole book of people messing up. <laughs> and so we live life. Prayer, duh. Uh, solitude, now there's a strange one. Why solitude? Well, I'll tell you why. Because we're all running around like a chicken with our head cut off. And we don't know how to slow down. If I say slow down, I always get this kind of blinky look at everybody like, what? 
I thought I was supposed to be real busy and then die. Like, no, that's not living, folks. That's just running around busy and dying. Anyway, I'm not going to go through them all, but there are other things on here. Uh, just pointing out a few. Oneness means that you wouldn't hold a grudge or carry bitterness. That you'd actually be one with other people. Or like essentials. It means we believe in something. We just don't believe in everything. We're not just some universal anything goes. We say no to some things and we say yes to some things. And just other stuff like reconciliation. This is a big one. And by this, we really mean race reconciliation. It's why we think all people of all nationalities are our brothers and sisters. And uh, as Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King said many decades ago, he said, Sunday morning is the most segregated hour of the week. And look around you. These are important. These are all disciplines of the Christian life in a sort of a progression. It's really a person. It's not a program. It's what a person looks like who's following Jesus. They surrender. They come together with others as the church, as the body of Christ. And they, they're doing it all for somebody else. You must realize the gospel did not come to you. It came to you on its way to somebody else. It's not about you. Rick Warren says at the very first line of his Purpose Driven Life book, big multi-gajillion dollar seller, it's not about you. It's about somebody else. How shall we get there unless we surrender? We take this all from the beginning of Jesus calling those very first people who, come on, who continue on to become Christians. When he said to, to Peter and his brother Andrew and James and John, those first peasant fishermen on the Sea of Galilee, and he walked up to them as they were putting away their nets, and he said, come follow me, and I will have you fish for other people. Come follow me. And I'll have you fish for others. Did he say, come follow me because I'll make you a really pious person and you'll get really religious and it'll be all about you? No, you come follow me because it's always going to somebody else. You give your life away. It's a part of the topsy-turvy philosophy of Jesus. If you want to change yourself, you give yourself up. If you want to change the world, you die to it. More on that here in a moment. This adventure of the Christian life is driven by a passion for others. And this is so hard to get into our head. Surrender. It all starts with surrender. Surrender, self-leadership. It goes against, especially this weekend following 4th of July, where we all champion our freedom, and that's a wonderful thing. We have a beautiful country. I couldn't help but praise God for thinking like, life is so easy, and so many people serve us you know, and take care of us and defend our freedoms and they do a job we don't want to do and it is a beautiful thing. We live in a wonderful country. But it's also a good weekend to think hard about what these freedoms mean for us and that's what I'm talking about. We must surrender our self-leadership to Jesus. Jesus goes on to say some very challenging things, <clears throat> particularly in his big sermon called the Sermon on the Mount and other places. He says this, Jesus said to them all, <coughs> if anyone would come after me, if you think about following me, <laughs> if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. 
For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? I believe many well-intentioned churchgoers in middle America read this famous challenge of Jesus and they really assume that it's just talking about on the sweet by and by, like when we go to heaven. Yes, I'll die to myself so I can gain eternal life, John 3, 16. And Jesus isn't saying anything about heaven here. He's not saying anything about eternal life. He's saying right here, right now, you give up whatever you're doing, whatever your self-leadership is, whatever your agenda and plan is, and you come follow me. And we will change people right here, right now, during this lifetime. He's flipping everything over. He's saying, if you wish to save your life, you must lose it. If you wish to gain life, you must die. Whatever you think is gain will not get you what you want. This challenge is about trading out one story, one large story that none of us know we're swimming in, for another story that is very, very disruptive and very challenging and yet will change the world and change you in the process. And that's the power of it. The challenge is about false living versus authentic real living. It's about challenging the self-made lifestyle and philosophy that says, I am my own man. I am captain of my ship. I am master of my fate. Invictus. I am God. We don't like to say it that way, but that's really what's going on. Consider for a moment what you and I actually truly might believe about God. Because I have to tell you, when most people say I don't believe in God, I would love to hear what that God is. And I'm just going to say, based on my experience, about nine out of ten times, I, I don't believe in that God either. God's judgmental. He's mean. You know, he's cranky, you know, he's just mean. You know, like, I don't believe in that God. I don't want to believe in a God like that anyway. I agree with you. You know? God is humble. Does that rock your boat about God? God is full of peace. God is just. God is waiting upon us to act as his creatures for his good. God wants us to be like him. Let's just go to the most famous passage in the Bible, arguably the most famous passage in the Bible, the 23rd Psalm. You've heard it. You've heard it. We said it this week at a funeral even around here. You know it. <clears throat> it says this. <clears throat> the Lord is my shepherd. <clears throat> I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. See, everyone, if we want to know something about God, we first have to understand that God is our shepherd. We're, God's our shepherd. We are his sheep. Now, this famous Bible passage it sounds a little sentimental, and we've all gotten used to it. It's kind of like amazing grace. It's this sort of little simple thing that we all say, oh, that's nice. That's nice. I'm glad, you know, God is our shepherd. That's cute. 
And we, we downplay it and we cheapify it and it becomes empty and we lose the entire force of what it's talking about because it's talking about surrendering to God Almighty. Now making us our shepherd. So imagine for a moment what our lives would really be like if we just lived by those first five words, the Lord is my shepherd. David, King David wrote these. He was a shepherd, uh, a shepherd himself. He kept sheep. Well, you know, the first thing we have to understand is that shepherds need sheep. That's us. We're supposed to be sheep. It's safe to assume that we are the sheep of God. And he compares human beings like us to sheep. Now, if you're like me and you grew up in the suburbs, we really don't know too much about sheep. Every now and then you run into somebody who's got sheep or whatever, you know, and the alpacas or whatever in their backyard. And they're kind of those strange people down there, you know, doing the granola deal or whatever, you know, like Portlandia or whatever. But that's okay. But we don't know too much about sheep. Because around here in Missouri, in Kansas and otherwise, we know cows. We're cow people. You tell us about cattle? Yeah, we got cattle. I'm having cattle tonight right on the table. You know, it, we're cow people. We get that. We understand the cow thing. And we got a cow mentality, folks, not a sheep mentality. We aren't sheep. We don't follow the herd. We're not stupid sheep. We're cow, Invictus cow. And we stand out there like last night in the storm, the lightning blasting all around with our three stomachs chewing the cud. <laughs> and nothing will shake us. We are self-made and, until the guy with the air compressor thing. And, and we are self-made people. Cow people. That's what we understand in suburbia. Cows. Brave. Hamburger. Laden. Beasts. And we get that. We drive by and we look at those cows and say, look at those guys, man. Self-made individuals. Everything by themselves. They don't need no shepherd. They're awesome. Powerful for a while. And yet, Jesus knew cattle. He had cows around him, and he had sheep, and they had goats and all sorts of other stuff. And you know what he chose? Sheep to describe human beings. He says, you need a shepherd. You're dumb as sheep. I mean, he didn't say that. That's my word, so I'm sorry to say it about Jesus, but we understand sheep, you know. They'll have green grass right behind them, and they'll stick their head through a barbed wire fence and strangle themselves. If, if they have the inclination, they're following each other, they go, I don't care, and they just go right off a cliff together. They'll fall in a hole. They won't drink water, you know, in, unless it's uh, calm. And they won't lie down, by the way, unless they feel safe. Not cows, they just stand there, stiff. We're sheep, so says Jesus. He picked his animal precisely, for what it looks like. Now, if I rewrite the 23rd Psalm, if I take a good honest look and maybe you'd find yourself there too, this is the way the 23rd Psalm ends up sounding to Dan. Dan ends up writing it like this. Dan is my shepherd. I want everything and I want it now. I missed the green stuff because I drove by too fast. And in the quiet waters, I'm splashing all about and making a big mess and muddying it up. Muddying it up. And with his rod and his staff, he beats me and drives me and said, why didn't you get more done today? And he goes to bed tired. What's your identity, everyone? Cow, sheep. What's your 
Who do you belong to? Do you have a shepherd? What's your story, your big story, the overarching grand narrative? What story are you living by? What water are you swimming in? Let's just go a step deeper into this identity thing. Understand that according to the Bible, the story of the humans, the idea is that we belong to God. God is our creator. We are the created thing. He is the artist. We are the art. You know what I mean? I actually have a better time understanding this whole artist art thing because I like to dabble in art because I understand it. You know, I, I, I don't know about you, but I go down to the Nelson Atkins Museum and I look at a piece of art, whether it be a, a you know, Carvaggio or a, some abstract thing by de Kooning or whatever else, and I only think like what was going through their head, especially that abstract stuff. Like, I could do that. You know, we all stand there and say, I could do that. You know, but I'm telling you, there's purpose to the whole thing. But I, I don't ever look at art without thinking like, what was going on with the artist? And that's us. Here we are, the art of God. And you think like, what's going on with those people? <laughs> Why is he that way? Why is she that way? What's the story? What's going on? I don't care about whether or not you squirted it out of a tube right on the canvas or used chalk or, you know, or something like that. What's the art saying about the artist? And the problem is, is we try and live like a painting with no artist. And it doesn't work. We are designed to reflect back to the artist, the art. You can't be a painting that just gets poofed out there somewhere, that didn't originate somewhere inside the mind of an artist. Better yet, God, God the Father, is a giver. Beyond being an artist, he's a giver. He's generous. See, our great problem is, is we tend to think of God as old and curmudgeoned and cranky and that he's mean and he's sitting on some big old rock stones up in heaven with a big old long white beard because he's old. You know, because he's old, because old people are supposed to be cranky, you know. Actually, most old people aren't cranky. They're actually having a pretty good time. But they, we think that God's cranky because we're young. And we think he's sitting around, looking around for somebody. And he's up there, and we're down here. And we think he's sitting around with lightning bolts in his hand saying, all right, who did something wrong? You know, and that he's just trying to wait for somebody. It's like some sort of cop, you know, in a speed trap or whatever. Like, that's not the deal. God is young. God is a child. He's much younger than us. We're the old cranky ones. We're the ones who are tired. God is like a child who says, push me again. And they'll say, push me again until you die as a parent. You'll drop dead and fall over in the dirt and your kid will still be saying, push me again. What if God were so much younger than us and so much more alive than us and is just having fun with cloud nebulas here and the moon changing and the sun coming up and the storms and the ice and the snow and the hail and all the rest of it. And just saying, it's just a joy. And God is saying to us, what are we going to do today? Do you want to make a snowman? You know, and it's us who are saying, like, I'm tired and cranky. You see, the art is inseparable from the artist. And what we are supposed to be doing is reflecting back the artist, surrendered to the artist and saying, I need to be young too, God. I need to be loving and generous and saying to everyone around me, what are we going to do today? And to grow young and be alive. 
And without some of these disciplines like solitude and prayer, we'll never grow young. We'll be tired and harried and hurried all the time and miss everything right past the green grass, right past the still waters and on to an early grave of busyness. We are inseparable from God. We are inseparable. To fully round out this surrender thing, I have to get really heavy for a moment. I know I've been saying meta-narrative and other buzzwords like that, but I'm just going to get really thick for a moment. So, yeah. You see, I believe we've incorrectly, incorrectly, incorrectly lived, we're living out the story of evolution. That we all evolve from some unspecified, unknown moment when we started out thinking like humans. I think most of us like to think we believe in God, but really we believe in, in a religion of evolution. I'm not saying anything about Charles Darwin, origin of species, you know, from the 1850s and the scientific theory of evolution, which, by the way, in the 19th century, everyone already believed in evolution anyway, you know. Darwin just went to the Galapagos Islands and gave some evidence for it and wrote the thing up. I think we live by an evolution thing, which means we are all getting better, which, by the way, in the theory of evolution, it doesn't always get better for every species. So lose your Star Trek world where we're all going to someday buzz around and say, uh-uh-uh, to the rest of the universe, and we don't need any money, and we have world peace and all that stuff, sort of thing. This is always going to go well. So you might want to back off this evolution idea for social evolution, as it's called. I'm not talking about evolution as a scientific theory. No, I'm talking about evolution as a human story. And it doesn't involve anything with God. It says we are all getting better, and we own into it, and we buy into it like it's a religion. And whether it be Charles Darwin, which, by the way, the, that sort of ripped-off social theory led to World War I and World War II, where people thought we were going to win. And at the, as a contemporary to Charles Darwin, unbeknownst to him, was Karl Marx writing the Communist Manifesto. And 30 years later, you've got Friedrich Nietzsche, saying God is dead. Not because he hated God. He just said, we don't need God anymore. We're the Uberman. We're it. We're Superman. We've got it. We can dismiss with God now. It's all good. But Karl Marx, 150 year, years ago, writes the Communist Manifesto. So chew on this quote from Karl Marx to me as we're talking about surrender here, okay? So thank hard on this. A being only counts itself as independent, and he wanted to be independent. A being only counts itself as independent when it stands on its own feet and it stands on its own feet as long as it owes its existence to who? Itself. A man who lives by grace, interesting they chose that word, a man who lives by grace of another considers himself a dependent being. Do you get what he's saying? Saying, we need to be independent. We need to lose this whole God myth, okay, and evolve into the people we're supposed to be. Now, a little side note, and I always love this kind of stuff about history. Karl Marx never really held a job, and it kind of sponged off another family in London for pretty much his whole life. So talk about dependency, Karl. Get a job, okay? Now, he might have been a brilliant 
social commentary commentator, but he was a pretty lousy uh, economist and a really, really rotten politician. But he had some good things to say about how human life works, and he says, you know what? If given the choice, people are going to oppress each other. Yeah, I see that. But you can't change the world, Carl, with a gun. You change it the way Jesus changed it, with a cross. And that flies in the face of our big story. See, everyone, either everything comes from the generous hand of God who loves us and is a giver and wants you to thrive, or it comes from us and we whip ourselves into a frenzy and call it living. You are not a beast. You are not an animal. You are not a sheep. You are not a cow. You are a child of God. You belong to your heavenly parent. You are worth more than you can ever imagine. And when we surrender, we are simply saying, I belong to you. I belong to you. That is what we're after. But it's so easy to slip into this little idea that we are self-made people and that we don't need God and that we just simply add a little religion on the side for a couple hours a week and we call that Christianity. And it's not true and it's so insidious. It's so deceptive. It's just right there. I I think about um, how much this just infiltrates our culture. Do you remember the movie uh, Aquila and the Bee? It was kind of special in our house. Aquila and the Bee, as in spelling bee, because my daughter went to the National Spelling Bee. Woohoo. And, you know, and uh, so the movie's kind of important. And the movie is about a little girl who's living in poverty in the inner city, and she makes it to the National Spelling Bee against all odds. It's a very inspirational movie. But the whole movie hinges on one poem that I disagree with, but we think sounds awesome because it totally fits the American ideology. And here's what it says. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, and fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Now, I call this sort of a New Age poem. It fits with our whole thing. And I love the poem. Don't get me wrong. But it's what it doesn't say that bugs me. It's sort of a self-talk. <clears throat> it's sort of like praying to yourself. It's saying, like, I, 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 I can just whip myself up to a frenzy of like, yes, yesness. I am a awesome. Everything is awesome when you're part of the team. And it's just awesome. But I think what it ought to say is it ought to say, if you, God, if you, artist, if you, lover and giver, if you, if you think I'm brilliant than I am, if you see me as gorgeous, then it is true. If you use me and call it talent, then I am yours. If you think I'm fabulous, then I'm fabulous. You see the slight difference? It's not saying I own this. It's saying it's back to you, God. I surrender it to you. All of my thoughts about me come from you. I am the art and you are the artist. So so why do I load you up with all this heavy philosophical stuff on a Sunday morning here in the summer? Because I'm convinced that all of us are incredibly brilliant and more sophisticated than we can ever imagine at swimming in this water 
that we call American ideology, and it is not the Christian life. And I am after challenging that meta-narrative and that story that we all live in and saying it is not about becoming powerful, self-made people. It is about becoming surrendered servants of God Almighty through Jesus Christ. It is a clash of stories, everyone. And we are professionals. We have been trained on how to live the American dream. It's not a bad dream. And that's what makes it so hard to challenge. But Jesus didn't give it to us. He said, if you wish to gain your life, you lose it. That's why I load this up, because we want to say, awake, O sleeper, arise, and Christ will shine on you. We are not evolving into the Uberman. We are Christians. And our life is not our own. We belong to another. And it is impossible to surrender God's son as the model of all human living if you're taking a little God talk away on a Sunday and then live the rest of your life like a functional atheist but call yourself a Christian. Like there is no God. And if you're not sold out, submitted, and surrendered to Jesus, then you'll never be convinced that you should covenant together as the church because then church just simply becomes sort of a prop for the American dream. And loving other people, well, we'll get around to doing that when we have some spare time and change. As opposed to the main driver that the gospel came to you on its way to somebody else and that it ought to consume your entire being. It's such a fine difference. So small, so subtle. And yet, all eternity and other people's lives hang in the balance. Why else would people on a Saturday night around here want to give up their time to hang out with special needs kids or give up repairing their own house to go down to the inner city or give up hundreds and thousands of dollars to go help women with a fistula condition in Liberia? Or why would any of you want to give up a bunch of money to help our kids have a better environment upstairs where they can learn this different meta-narrative? And on and on it goes. The world looks at us and they think, We're, you guys are nuts. Go on vacation, man. Spend it on yourself. Like, I think I got different priorities. I want to be a human being, not just a human doing. I want to live, not just exist. I don't want to fill space. I want to be filled with God. I wish I could just sign people up right now. Like, you know, we'd do some sort of thing. Like, all right, raise your hand if you want to become a Christian and sign up for this thing. I'm like, dude, do not do that. You have no idea what you're getting involved with. It's the scariest thing going. When we say surrender your life to Jesus, you better think really hard about that. It is not a flippant thing like, you know, get out of hell free card or something like that. This is nothing like that. This is an entire life. And as one of my old youth ministry kids told me when I was trying to say, Daryl, how come everybody doesn't become a Christian? I mean, I said, it's absolutely free. It doesn't cost anything. And he sat there in the car and he said, well, I'll tell you why. It might be absolutely free, but it costs you everything. 16-year-old kid had it all figured out. And he was thinking real hard about whether or not he wanted to 
you know, have it cost him everything. Mostly without surrender, we'll never be able to change the world and fish for other people. We'll go out of here with some nice additional little Christian thoughts and never become the people that God wanted us to be. And then question why life doesn't work sometimes. But with God in the picture and belonging to God, even the worst of times makes sense. And that 23rd Psalm comes crashing in and says, God is my shepherd. I need a whole lot of stuff, but I don't want anything. I think I'm loved. Think hard, everyone, as we spend this month thinking about how shall we then live? How shall we then live? What story are we in? What are we living out? What are my values? What am I after? You want a good conversation to have with somebody? Saying, just answer the question. What story are we living, folks? You know, like it was a fairy tale and it's got a once upon a time and they lived happily ever after thing. Like, well, what's the storyline? What are we all trying to do? That's the heaviest question you can ask these days. Because I'm afraid at worst it could be like, well, we're all just trying to entertain ourselves until we die. Like, that's a lame story. Would you stand with me, please? After all this heavy stuff, I'm going to send you out with a blessing. So lighten up, because Dan's lightening up, okay? So it's heavy stuff. Got your propeller all, you know, the rubber band up there is real wound tight. That's cool. Let her go. Let her go. There, another frozen quote. But nonetheless, <laughs> may the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. And may he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors and go with the sign of the cross in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Lord be with you. Have peace. Amen.